Hello and welcome to Subject to Blackout. My name is Timo and with me as always is Mike from the Name Taken Podcast. Mike, how you doing? Doing good, Tim. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, we were unfortunately not able to do last week's pod, so... Uh, while we were going to talk about Hidden Fortress, uh, we'll still talk about that in the second half, but mm. I think it's fair to say we're both pretty excited about the upcoming Denis Villeneuve Dune, um, and in preparation for that, we decided to watch the 1984 version of Dune, and, uh, and Mike, y- you've seen this movie before, Correct. I have seen it before, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't do a rewatch this morning, but I did. I've seen it before. I also have, you know, seen uh, Jodorowsky's Dune, the whole yes. documentary, and know the entire history of that movie. And I've read the book like twice. Yeah. So 1984's Dune is not a great movie. It's a pile of shit. So <laughs> it's it's like it's so terrible that the several cuts of the film have. David Lynch's name removed because he doesn't Correct. want to associate with it. Uh, yeah, I believe Alan Smithy uh, yes. filled in for in there. Correct. Whoever the fuck that is. Uh, but, uh, of course, based on the Frank Herbert novel Dune or or series of novels, yeah. um, but specifically the, the movie is based on the first one, as will uh, Denis Villeneuve's first uh, Dune movie. Uh this this is like you said it's a big mess yeah. um i was i had also seen it before and uh i also am of the opinion that it's not very good but i was background watching it today uh especially right before we came in and there's just so many weird choices made in that movie and it's just ugly and bland and the cgi is so obvious and there's just not a lot to love about what's actually happening in the movie but mike can you explain to me why i'm still super excited for a dune movie dune is like lord of the rings in space so if you're down with like the like epic majesty and intensity of like the original lord of the rings trilogy dune is perfect that said like tolkien was not down for frank herbert he thought that dune the novel sucked but uh it's of the same breadth and uh the world building is as extensive and epic so yeah and i think that's the thing is there's in Dune, there's clearly bones of what could be a really fun cinematic experience or television experience. There's been a mini series about Dune um, yep. that was fairly well received from what I've heard. I've never seen it. But but this movie tries to cram a very large novel into two hours and 15 minutes. It does. And it, it also... I mean, the, the production of the movie itself suffered from a lot of executive meddling. Uh, so the finished product is absolutely a reflection of like a very kind of like schizophrenic creative process that there's like lots of different things cobbled together. David Lynch wasn't didn't really even have the um, wasn't given like final cut privilege either. So he wasn't really 
editing the the final film either. It was done by somebody else entirely. Um, one thing I will say, Kyle MacLachlan as Paul Trades, you know what would be way better? Macaulay Culkin. Imagine young <laughs> Home Alone era Macaulay Culkin flipping out on the desert planet of Arrakis. He's just like, my name is a killing word. <laughs> And he's just like got paint cans to take out all the <laughs> the Harkonnens. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Wouldn't that have been sick? <laughs> Dune alone. Dune it this plays summer. in the background. <laughs> Somebody. <laughs> um, I could see it, and I would. I would watch that movie. Yeah. Um. So let's, in brief, for anyone who hasn't seen Dune, it's available to stream on a bunch of different platforms right now. Uh, like much of everything these days, it's on HBO Max, but it, it's also on Amazon Prime, and I, I think you can stream it for, uh, f- not for free. If you're paying for a, a subscription service on a couple other sites, you can you can also stream it there. Um, I would say if you have two hours and 15 minutes to background watch something Run, you could do watch. worse <laughs> we have done worse actually i think we yeah. I, we've definitely watched movies that were worse than this dude yeah Waterworld is worse than this the the thing Waterworld is like dune it's like wet dune really <laughs> <laughs> well like and opposite it, dune and so yeah it is it it really is wet dune this is what the pitch meeting was like for Waterworld. what if it's like dune water, what if we just call it water world wet world <laughs> Huh? What about that? Huh? I think this is a great idea. I I would just say up front, I think it's worth a watch. I think it's worth a spin. There's a lot of weird shit going on. There's yep. space bending, traveling vagina monsters. Yep. Um Sting. There's Sting in a singlet. Um, yep. <laughs> there's festering pustules. Um there's uh yes. latent homo homosexuality equals evil. Yeah, um, so there so there are some traditional David Lynch elements that are yeah. in the movie. Yeah, that and there is a, an inordinate amount of uh like narration. God damn it. The narration is like such a that the narration is the mind killer. The narration <laughs> is the little death. It's like the worst part of that movie. <laughs> it's and it's not like a narrator narrating. It's just like the inner monologues of tons of different characters. Like everybody gets a moment where at some point the camera is on them in a tight one shot and they're not moving and they're doing voiceover of just like clearly what's going on in their head. Like my my son might die tonight. <laughs> it's like, OK, like why? Why did you need to say that? Like, but also not say it, just do it in a narration voiceover thing. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of that. Um, when he, he's uh, like, when he's riding the fucking worm to the, it's like, oh my it's God. kind of like, it's the voiceovers are like memento. Do you know what I mean? Like, wait, why is he chasing me? It's like that kind of voiceover. Like, what is this doing here? I don't need an inner voice. And also there's like these moments. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's these moments where like, Specifically, I was just watching that worm scene right before we jumped on here. There's where like a character is like having a dream, 
but he's doing that thing you would do in a terrible like eight dollar movie where where he's like huh sand <laughs> dune spice the spice but they're like supposed to be asleep but they're speaking full words <laughs> like perfectly clear the worms are the spice the spice are the worms like why is this happening there's so many bizarre choices so i'm looking forward to a modern director taking uh the bones of this and and, you know taking the structure of the book and making a movie that isn't laughably bad (laughs) yeah there's a lot of cool shit in this like fear is the mind killer and putting his hand in the box and and the worms and you know political intrigue but it's all just kind of poorly done poorly edited i don't you know the structure of the book and we'll we'll get into what actually the plot of of the first book and movie are Mm -hmm. uh in a minute here but i've never read the book i've never read any of the books but what i would imagine is this movie for the first hour hour and a half is the first half of a half of the book Mm -hmm. and then like the last 45 minutes is the second half of the book and it feels super rushed in the second half like they're just like two years later (laughs) like it there's so much fast forwarding in the second half of this movie that it's like breakneck and confusing and very off-putting yeah so the book the book is really divided into two parts the the first part ends a little bit after a, a fairly important moment for the Atreides <laughs> family. Yes. And then about 65%, so two-thirds of the rest of the book, happens at like a time jump of several years after those okay. events. That kind of lines up. Um, so that's that's kind of how the book is organized. But the, the the latter half is much longer than the beginning. The beginning is almost kind of just like the setup to like a bunch of shit happening in the desert. Gotcha. Yeah, so let's let's get into it. Um now that we've talked about it a little bit, uh you know, spoilers are coming up. We're going to talk about the plot of 1984's Dune. So basically, we open up with a space vagina mouth monster That's telling the emperor of the universe or whatever. Emperor of the Galaxy. Basically no. that uh, House Atreides is right. going to be a threat to him. They're yeah. developing this weapons technology, and they're well liked, and they're good leaders, and it's a threat to his his power. Um, and also for reasons unknown, they want his son dead. Um, Paul, who will be our our main character, and and once that starts, uh, a political intrigue thing where they're going to pit house Harkonnen, which are ancient uh, uh, rivals with house Atreides. And they're going to tell the Atreides that they can now take over control of Dune, which is where spice is. Mike, would you like to tell me what spice is? The spice melange. Melange. (laughs) Spice is, it's like a drug kind of. It is, um, it's like an important drug 
or it's it's important for space travel and it's also important for like being able to tell the future and do like divination and stuff so it has like a practical purpose it also has like a spiritual significance and it's found on this kind of back otherwise backwater planet of arrakis where at least we have the impression at the outset that it's a sort of hostile and kind of brutal environment. Yeah, it's it's sort of portrayed as Tatooine, which yes. there's a reason for that. Um, uh, yeah. As we will talk about later. <laughs> Here it, comes hidden, George Lucas. I'll yeah, take that. <laughs> hidden, hidden Fortress and Dune, you'd kind of mash them together and you get the first Star Wars movie. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of influence by Dune on, on especially that first, uh, that first uh, Star Wars film that was released in the seventies. Also, what is notable about spice is that it is an addictive substance that yes. if you ever stop using it, once it first ingested, you will die. Yep. Also, it turns uh, your eyes blue, and it's like, and cool. it turns your eyes blue. Yeah. Uh, which is yeah, dope. If that's what you're into, um, and basically. It, yeah, like you said, is pretty much everything important in the universe. So whoever controls Dune, the sole planet where Spice comes from, uh, controls uh, a, a vast wealth and power. So what the Emperor's plan is, is to get the Atreides to go to Dune, where the Harkonnens had been in control, yep. um, give them control of Dune, and then secretly allow the Harkonnens to uh, attack and kill off the, the bloodline of, of Duke Leto and his son, Paul Atreides. Yep. Uh, and Paul, Paul at this point in the book is kind of a bitch <laughs> in the movie. He's not exactly a bitch, but he's not doing a whole lot. So <laughs> we don't, we don't necessarily like Paul yet. Paul's kind of lame. He's not cool or anything. Uh, what then happens is per- he's precocious. He's, uh, doesn't understand good leadership. He's just kind of like a 12-year-old. Yeah, in, in, in the movie, he uh, seems to have, like, predator natural skills at, like, certain things. Um, he is a very good fighter. Uh, they lead you to believe. Um, it seems like he has, like, almost intuitional-type foresight about what's going to happen um, on Dune. He starts having these dreams. And his mother, who's a witch, that's the fastest explanation of yep. that, um, thinks that he might be this prophesized leader that is supposed to help change the galaxy or whatever. Right. They're kind of messiah. Yeah. Uh, they're entirely female. Coven. Yeah. Again, witches. Yep. Um, so then what happens next is... They go to Dune, and exactly what the plan was by the Emperor and the Harkonnens happens. Exactly as they seemingly would hope it would. Right. Uh, House Atreides falls. Uh, Duke Leto dies. Paul's uh, pregnant mother driven into the desert. Assumed, correct. Assumed dead. And uh, the spice falls under the purview of the Harkonnens again. They're evil guys with warts on their face. Uh, and yeah. Uh, they're the bad guys because they're gingers, including Sting. Ginger Sting. Yeah, fucking Sting. Um. Meanwhile, 
<laughs> Paul. Uh, on the other side of, of Dune, yeah, Paul and his mother find safety with the Fremen, the uh, native Indigenous residents of Dune. Caracas, yep. Who uh, live Dune in the is- desert, which sucks. Mm, wear these suits where they that you can just take a dump moisture. in. Yeah. Yeah, you can just you shit and piss in them and you sweat and it all collects and that way you can live in that suit for like months at a time. Yeah. Um Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> uh so they somehow survive and uh they get collected by the Fremen and very quickly he becomes their savior. Yeah. And I would say white savior, but they're all white too, because there's no people of color in this movie. <laughs> no. I never got the impression they were in the book either. So um, so yeah, he becomes their savior. He takes the spice. Um, his mother becomes like the leader of the witches on their planet. Yep. He uh, takes a poison and just has a wicked trip in the desert. I mean, we've all been there. Uh, and then... He decides that he's going to climb up on one of these giant sandworms and just fucking ride it. And so he does. Uh, And then he helps uh, take Dune back from the Harkonnens and becomes Emperor. Yeah, more or less end of movie. So that's it. That's Dune. Uh, There again, there's a lot of stuff to go on there for a much better version of this movie. Right. But uh, what I'm kind of interested to hear is apparently this next Dune is just going to be that first half where presumably right? it's going to end with Timothy Chalamet being thrown out into the desert after the Harkonnens take over. This movie? It's not going to be the whole thing? It's just going to be It's first not going to be the whole thing. Did they film like the entire thing and they're just dividing it up or there is strong hope by Denis Villeneuve that if this movie goes well and it's opening, it's been open in large parts of the world for sure. some time now. Right. And it's been making a killing, especially in COVID times. Um, there is hope that as soon as pretty much the box office shows that this is a viable movie, like they're going to start production on on the second half um but as far as i know it is still not greenlit for for a second movie so uh i heard from uh watching uh fat man beyond with kevin smith and mark bernardin the the pop culture podcast um they have actually seen the movie and they were a little surprised at how it ended very cliffhangery Mm -hmm. um but hey if that means we get a second Dune and maybe a third Dune or a fourth Dune, I'm all about it. Do you think that we will get what what do you think will come first? The conclusion to this Dune movie or an, another Avatar movie? Oh, I think that's obvious. It's going to be an, a conclusion to the Dune movie. Yeah, um, we're going to get eight more Dune movies before we get a single sequel to Avatar. I'm just going to check. How's how's Avatar doing? That's like if if Waterworld was like what if Dune was wet? Avatar is like what if Dune was stupid? <laughs> <laughs> what if Dune were Fern Gully? <laughs> In 3D. 
yeah, that movie, that is a movie that had, that everyone in the world fucking saw because it wasn't banned in certain countries because there was nothing controversial about it. Right. It was just like, planets are good. Um, be nice to people. Um, but basically that movie was seen by everyone in the world at least one time. And then everyone was like, so like there was no cultural, like lasting imprint of that avatar movie. And the idea that you're going to make like nine more of those is laughable, especially because it came out fucking decade ago, over a decade ago now. Yeah. Over what is it? 12 years ago. I mean, remember, the only reason that movie did well was because of its gimmick. It was really yeah. one of the first movies to take advantage of 3D. Yeah, and like modern 3D where you weren't wearing red and blue shades. Right. But now we've had a bunch of those and we've also just sort of like kind of gotten sick of 3D. So, yeah, yeah I don't know what would, I don't know why we would care about James Cameron. We shouldn't. Uh, I will say, though. Uh, uh, speaking of giant film franchises, with us watching uh, Hidden Fortress yes. and then watching this, I did feel like we were prepping for Star Wars much more so than I felt like we were prepping for another Dune, Dune. movie. Yeah, maybe we should watch Star Wars. Maybe we should just—I don't know. That's just it's a possibility. Not, yeah, we don't like—we don't have to watch sequels again. I'm good. But yeah, I can watch original Star Wars in the near future. Yeah. Um, but. There, it's hard to talk about Dune without talking about like there is this disappointment that I have with this movie. It was hyped up to me by people who, you know, I know and respect who like science fiction and 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 you know that sort of like pop culturey stuff. And obviously, the books are well regarded by most people. Um, have have a large uh, fan support. This movie, I was told was good, and it's a stinker. <laughs> like it's, You were told the 1984 Dune was good? I was told it was entertaining. Who said that? Uh, well, I mean, again, like uh, podcasts and stuff that I listen to and, 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 and pop culture critics that I, I like quote Dune as being like one of their favorite movies growing up. And I think that's because you have to be 12 to think this is a good movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I Dune is like 1984's Dune is one of those movies. It's sort of like it's perfectly situated for some asshole to come along now and be like, oh, it's underappreciated. Like it is perfectly and appropriately appreciated for what it is. Yes. There's, there's, it, this isn't under or overrated. It is rated. Yes. Um. Again, because there's there's stuff there. There's. <laughs> There's scenes of David Lynch trying to be weird David Lynch. Yeah. Um, and and it's not coming through 100% and it's not working for me. But he's he's trying to do some weird stuff. But you brought it up earlier. Uh, there's a wonderful documentary called Yudorowsky's Dune. Yep. And it's about, I believe he's like French and Argentinian uh, director, uh, Yudorowsky. Uh, and he wanted to do this like 10 hour dune saga right and basically collected some of the best artists and actors and and musicians in the world and we're all like collaborating yeah. yeah 
collaborating on amazing stuff and the the parts of that film that live on don't live on in that film because it was never it was never shot right but like uh you get geiger's interpretation of like alien from that yep uh you get these far out like freaky spaceships which is like psychedelic and and trippy as balls um you had you know, famous actors uh, or or musicians being lined up to play uh, in certain roles. You yep. had, uh, you had uh, Mick Jagger was in there. Salvador Dali was going to be in it. Yeah, Salvador Dali was going to be the emperor for which a hundred thousand dollars an hour. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> because that's the number Salvador Dali pulls. You want Sal- Salvador Dali in your flick? It's a hundred thousand dollars an hour. Okay. That's why he's in Five Goes West for three minutes. <laughs> yeah, how much is that? Divided by 60. <laughs> a lot. A lot. But they had Five Goes West money, so it was fine. Yeah, that's right. That was, some, that was, that was the era where... Who did that? Was that Don Bluth? I have no idea. <laughs> no idea who did Five Goes West. Uh, but Yodorowsky's Dune is a wonderful documentary about yep. the trippy, wild thing that Dune could have been in the 80s. And then I, I don't know which studio just dumped a whole bunch of water on that and just turned it into this. But and I know that's not what we're going to get from Dune that's coming out next week. But I am still very much intrigued by uh, the potential that that movie has especially since the director already took a work of science fiction from the 1980s that is okay and made it a much, much better sequel just a few short years ago. Right. With Blade Runner. Ooh. (laughs) Blade Runner. (laughs) It's the official position of this podcast that Blade Runner 2049 is a better film than Blade Runner. Oh, I don't know about the <laughs> Play, original Blade Runner, possibly one of the greatest movies. And then there's also Blade Runner 2049, which is it's like, what if we made a better movie? What if we made Dune? But I can't. I'm trying to just like relate everything back to Dune. I can't do it. I'm panicked. What if we made Dune, but Blade Runner? But 2049. <laughs> but in the future. <laughs> the second half of Dune, where they t- jump ahead. All right. Well, I think that is going to conclude our talks of of 1984 Dune. Obviously, um, we're excited for the film uh, next week. That'll be in theaters. Uh, Mike, I think we should go to a theater. Gosh darn it. Uh, I think it'll be dropping on HBO Max, but um, I want to see a second half of Dune as well as the first half of Dune. So maybe uh, maybe send our money to the box office. Sure. Yeah, no, I'm going to get my Johnson Johnson booster. I could tear it up. Let's do it. All right, let's take a little break and we'll come back and talk a little bit about Hidden Fortress. Next week on Subject to Blackout. After over a year of fits and starts, Denis Villeneuve's much-anticipated adaptation of Frank Herbert's Dune will premiere this Friday in theaters and on HBO Max. Mike and I are both very excited for this brand new version of Dune, in part because Denis Villeneuve's terrific body of work, as well as his stellar cast, including Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, David Batista, Stellan Skarsgård, and many more. 
Yodorowsky's Dune was the fever dream too purely amazing to be realized, and David Lynch's version was too much of a train wreck to take hold in pop culture in the mid-1980s. But right now there seems to be a revolution in pop culture hard sci-fi, and this adaptation of Dune might just be the version that gets us a Dune cinematic universe. So join us next week, won't you? By watching Dune in theaters or at home on HBO Max, and remember, fear is the mind killer. All right. Well, uh, the other movie we watched over the last couple of weeks, uh, the one that we watched first actually was Hidden Fortress. And Mike, uh, can you tell me a little bit about Hidden Fortress? Sure. Well, so Hidden, Hidden Fortress is one of Kurosawa, the famous post-war Japanese directors. Like it's one of his most acclaimed films. He also did, you know, Seven Samurai, Yojimbo. Hidden Fortress is well known to the West for a couple of reasons. It's in its own right. It's an, it's an innovative film, both from like a, a narrative perspective and also um, from like a technical perspective. Um, so we, you know, critics still point to this movie as being really significant. Um, but it was also one of the most significant influences for the original Star Wars trilogy. So George Lucas drew so heavily on um, elements of Kurosawa's films that you can actually sit down and match up particular scenes and particular characters with from Star Wars with characters and scenes from um, Kurosawa's entire filmography. But especially Hidden, Hidden Fortress. Fortress. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think... So I, I, I mentioned to you, we actually went out for dinner last night and I mentioned to you, I believe that I had a little bit of issue watching the movie in that uh, I accidentally kind of broke it up into parts because the first night I was watching it, I knew I wasn't going to make it all the way through. So I kind of stopped and then I took a couple of days and then I, I basically had to watch it the second half of the movie and several days removed from the first half. So it's a little fragmented for me. Um, and that kind of took away from it a little bit. I mean, that's just my fault. That's I think you also experiential. Just a, you have a hard time with movies that don't have Chris Tucker in them. <laughs> Everyone should have a hard time with movies without Chris Tucker in them. Um, more Chris Tucker. Yes, please. Uh, no, but I, there is clearly, especially looking at that first Star Wars movie to come out, um, which is the thing you have to say, because there's like four different versions of the first Star Wars movie. But you look at the first Star Wars movie that came out and you can clearly see, again, I mean, you pointed it out to me before we watched the movie, but the two peasant characters are right. clearly analogs to C-3PO and R2-D2. Right. With less clicks and whistles. Um, but also, you know, there's a princess who's in trouble, who you basically have to smuggle. Um, but she is also kind of like a badass. She, yes. she kind of subverts the damsel in distress, which yes. this is the 1950s. So that was kind of like a big deal. Um, and this yeah. movie might pass the Bechdel test because when she saves that other woman and I believe they have a con conversation that's not about anyone being romantic about her so that's true yeah the romantic the like there's the um like the the driving force of this movie is to like 
for everyone to find their way to safety, to kind of like navigate through this kind of like war-torn region of Japan. You can think about it like... Um, navigating escaping, an asteroid field. Yeah, or escaping the Death Star. Yeah, maybe both. Yes. Um, but yeah, and there's this very cool uh, general character who is referred to several times as boss because he's clearly a man of leadership, a man of power. That's why he has uh, a very full beard, very, tiny mm-hmm. shorts. Uh, the tiniest of shorts. <laughs> the real nut huggers. Um, and very cool, calm, and collected at all times, much like Han Solo. Um, we don't really have a Luke analog in this, but that's fine because Luke in that first movie, for the most part, is a whiny little bitch. He's a bitch. Um, he gets cooler, but let's be real, he's a whiny little bitch in that movie. Uh, and I, you know, I thought like you mentioned it to me last night, like you didn't even realize like that checkpoint scene, like, oh, wow, that's like straight out of Star Wars's playbook. Um, you get a whole bunch of uh, vignettes and scenes like at the end where uh, the princess is safe and she and her entourage are thanking the two peasants who helped them. Um, that is very much like the award scene at the end of the first Star Wars movie. Yes. Um, there's a lot where you're like, what I what I feared coming into this was that it was going to be shot for shot, and I was going to think less of George Lucas, and that's the last thing I want in this world. <laughs> the man who keeps retooling his films for 20 years, much to the hatred of his fans. Yeah, I would hate to think less of him. Um, but no, I I think he took, and especially watching Dune, he obviously took pieces from multiple spots and was like, I want samurai, but I want them in the desert. And I want a cool, badass princess. Like he was pulling from different pockets. Um, but even to the point of the sort of like scene, uh, uh, transition wipes. It was just like, this is so star Wars. Yeah. It's exactly where he got. Yeah. Yeah. Kurosawa was, yeah, scene transitions are, are George Lucas's. George Lucas took those directly. Um, I mean, one one thing that's important about Hidden Fortress is that it, it presents a, a type of dynamic among the main characters that George Lucas used uh, throughout both the original and the prequel trilogies. And it's that there are um, both serious characters and characters that offer basically comic relief and that they're all together. So it's a it's a nice when it's done correctly, like in the sequel trilogy and in the Hidden Fortress, it's actually like a nice uh it's a nice dynamic because yeah. it allows you to balance the intensity of some of the action sequences with something a little bit lighter, so you're not overwhelming an audience. Um and that's where we see, you know, C-3PO and R2-D2 as sort of being kind of like detached and kind of providing commentary on the events that are going on. And also just kind of like being a little like bumbling and, and difficult. So so that's really one of the big things that I think George Lucas took out of Hidden Fortress. Now, like when we get into the prequel trilogies, George Lucas kind of 
you know, flanderizes the um the C three PO and R two D two and makes them a little bit more like like Laurel and Hardy than he does the yeah. characters in, in in Hidden Fortress. But I think that type of dynamic, which works extremely well in the original trilogy, is something that is very much drawn out of Hidden Fortress. Well, and that also provides an extremely modern feel to a movie that's at least 60 years old or 70 years old at this point, almost. Yes. Um, and that was something that I was struck by. Uh, I, I enjoyed the film. Mm. I didn't think it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think at least part of that is my corrupted viewing experience. Um, and one of the biggest problems I had was a little bit long. Uh, and the two peasant characters just got annoying. I hate it when characters make decisions that are so fucking stupid that no one would ever make them in real life. Yeah. The idiot and ball like the, as it's called. Yes. And yeah. when they go back and try to snatch up a couple more pieces of gold and basically like get caught, um, like after the fire, sequence Mm. um i I was just getting frustrated with how repetitive their decline into just like trying to grift was i i was i was done with that plot line so but those were those are my two main things is a little bit long didn't got tired of the peasants thing after a while and that's one thing in star wars is c3po and r2d2 fade into the background pretty quick um, they help you get into the world and then you get away from that to more interesting characters. But back to the very modern approach that Kurosawa is displaying, that mix of uh, lighthearted comedy, almost physical comedy sometimes, as well as a very serious storyline. This This princess is dealing with the destruction of her armies and the you know, enslavement of her people and like there and, you know, the general's uh, sister basically sacrifices her life so that the princess may live by, yes. by claiming that there are scenes where it is emotionally hitting. Yeah. And, you know, there are consequences, deadly consequences in this world. But he is like a very modern movie mixing that in. Uh, with lighter elements to sort of alleviate the stress of that um, for for the film goer, and I, I think I thought that was incredible. I also thought you see a lot of movies in this era just kind of like set a camera down and shoot. Right. And this one's in motion. Me, it's very exciting. yeah. And there's so many shots that felt. I, the best word I can describe them is modern. And I, I, I'm, you know, that's the theme of this segment. Sure. <laughs> but, but it just, it felt shot like something from now as, as opposed to something from, you know, 60, 70 years ago. And I think that is why, as I said a couple of weeks ago on the, the preamble on the, on the ad, talking about that we are going to watch this movie. This is why Kurosawa is clearly, you know, the director's director. Like, all of your favorite directors mm-hmm. consider 
Kurosawa a genius. And that's because he was doing in the 1950s and 60s what people were still have a hard time grasping and and uh, using in their own work, even, you know, as far as 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, sure. Um, he, it It is masterful because while the movie being in black and white, being in Japanese, being shot on film, it reads on your television or, or the cinema screen as an old movie. Yeah. But there's nothing about it that is like, oh, well, you wouldn't do that these days. Mm -hmm. Like, everything is just fine-tuned, well thought out, beautiful camera movements, um, good composition. Like, it, it's just clear, like, this is why your favorite director thinks Kurosawa is his favorite director or her. All right, Mike, um, now that we've talked about that, is there anything else you've been watching over the last couple of weeks or maybe listening or reading or what's what's going on in your pop culture life? I've been like I said, I've been I've been revisiting Dune, been rereading Dune. So I'll definitely be done with that before we check out the movie. Um what was I watching? I'm 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 rewatching all of Cowboy Bebop in anticipation nice. of the Netflix series. Been enjoying going back through that. But again, I said this before, but the the music is such an important character. Now that I know that they invested so much in recreating the musical element in the Netflix one, I'm like jazzed. So, yeah, I I myself have watched a couple more episodes since we last spoke, and still very much enjoying what I'm seeing. Uh, unfortunately, I'm watching it on Hulu, and I have commercials. Have commercials, it's a yeah. nightmare. Um, so I haven't been watching as much as I would if it was on, say. Netflix. Hey, what? Netflix, why isn't the show on Netflix? I'm surprised about that. Yeah, how did that happen? HBO Max, you know, they didn't have Dune, and then all of a sudden they're about to release Dune, and Dune showed up on HBO Max. Netflix, get your shit together. <laughs> like, I don't care what you have to pay. I want to watch the cartoon series before I watch the live action, so I can compare and contrast. Come on. Get your shit together. God, Unbelievable. They suck. Anything else, Mike? That that's pretty much it for me. Aside from our stuff, yeah. I mean, video game wise, we just had a big Nintendo Direct about Animal Crossing. So in a few weeks, I'm gonna be there. Could be some updates. Tearing up my dollhouse, basically, the, my dollhouse that's made for nine year old Japanese children. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a fun game. Gonna be great. Uh, yeah, uh, personally, FIFA came out a couple weeks back, uh, so I've been playing a little bit of FIFA as we're on the topic of video games. FIFA is fine. It's the one EA Sports video game that I buy every year still, because I'm stupid. <laughs> Whatever. But I want to play it, and I want to play it with updated rosters and current uniforms, and yeah, it's not a $70 product but i pay 70 dollars for it every year it's yeah. a stupid tax and mm. i'm stupid yeah uh but i've been listening to a bunch of music recently and i, mm -hmm. I was telling you a little bit about this artist last night and it's julia jacqueline mm -hmm. uh and she is uh an australian artist yeah uh singer songwriter and i gotta tell you i heard like a song or two 
and I heard her do a cover of Someday by The Strokes. Yeah. That's cool. And it was just very different. And I decided to like go into her uh, discography and she's sort of got like this alt country feel to a lot of her music. Mm -hmm. Uh, And her last album, I believe is crashing. um, Okay. Or crushing. Uh, And it's, it's a, it's about a breakup and a bad breakup. (laughs) Like at one point there's a song where it's like, you know, it's bad when your parents fly into town (laughs) just to stand by your side. It's just like, all right. (laughs) So it's pretty dark. Um, and it's pretty emotionally laced album, but yeah, I was that sounds good. That sounds cool. I was really blown away by a lot of what I heard. Um, you know, a lot of relatable um, sort of themes uh, of just like processing, you know, breakup or processing trauma or whatever it may be sure. um, and dealing with, you know, depression and whatnot. It, it just a very very cohesive album in a way i hadn't heard in a long time like mm. this album was created about a thing um you'll hear songs or series of songs by artists where it's like okay well maybe this was happening in their life but like as far as i can tell this entire thing is about processing uh you know the end of a of a serious relationship and it's Really, really impressive cool. um, and and very enjoyable. So cool. I highly recommend you give Julia Jacqueline a spin if you if you are so inclined. Well, Mike, I think it does it for this week, unless you have anything else to add. That's it. Looking forward to Dune. Yeah. Well, like I said, we'll be here uh, again next week talking about mm-hmm. hopefully a better Dune. A better Dune. Yes. To, to a we better Dune. We can all dream of a world of a better Dune. That's what Paul dreams about. He dreams about a better Dune. All right. For those of you listening along, you can head on over to subjectofblackout.com where you can reach out to us. And you can also find the links to all of our socials, including Instagram, Patreon, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube. Mm -hmm. Also, you can feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on any of those. And lastly, you can find Mike on Instagram and Twitter at the Taken Podcast. Mike, thanks for joining me. Right on, Tim. Fear is the mind.